Good morning to each one. I greet you in the name of Jesus. It's always good to come back to Bethel. This was home for me for the first nine years of my life. And I recognize most of you. I know most of you, except some of the younger people. It's always good to come back. Although I must admit it would be better to come back if I could be sitting down there and somebody else would be up here, but that's okay. We had a lovely drive over the mountain this morning. Enjoyed y'all's leaves. Y'all still have on the trees. Ours are all gone, blown away. But it was a beautiful morning. There's a verse in Luke chapter 6 I would like to notice here this morning. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, says this. This is Jesus speaking. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. A student is not above the teacher. But when the teacher has accomplished his work in the student, that student will be as the teacher, will have the same knowledge and expertise as the teacher. I don't see Darren here this morning, but I understand that Darren studied piano uh, to, to learn how to play the piano. And I think he went through a number of teachers. One teacher took him as far as that teacher could go and he moved on to another teacher. But a student is never above the teacher. This morning, if we are Christians, we are students. We're to be students of Jesus, who is our master. I'm a disciple of Jesus this morning, and I hope you are too. But I must admit that I am not a straight-A student. There have been many tests that he's brought into my life that I've failed. And I've often had to take and retake the same tests that that he's wanted me to learn. For every child of God, God has a plan, a purpose, and that is to be conformed into the image of his Son. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So if you're born again, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's God's work. That's his heart for each one of us, his children. And as Christians, our number one goal, our number one focus should be to be coming like Jesus. Christ's likeness. When I look at Jesus, 
our teacher, our forerunner, our master, and I see who he is, his holiness, his character, the way he lived when he walked on the earth, the way he conducted himself, his purity and his purpose, I can't help but stand in amazement at, at the man, at Christ. And then I look at myself and I realize how desperately much I have to learn. <clears throat> I believe I'm in first grade in the school of Christ. Well, this morning, the message is about something that the Lord has been trying to teach me. It's one of the schools that he has me in, so I don't bring this message as a graduate, but rather as a student that's sharing something that the Lord is trying to show me. So this is for me, first of all. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we bow our heads and our hearts before you this morning. Lord, we want to see Jesus. Father, open our eyes to see Christ for who he is. Lord, in the way he lived and the way he wants us to live. Lord, so we just pray that your spirit would come and open our hearts and open our understanding. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I look at Jesus' life on earth, the way he lived among people, there's something that especially stands out to me. And that's the way that he related to people. Jesus was surrounded by people all the time. And the way he related to them, something for us to think about. That's what I want us to look at this morning. Jesus' life was all about people, serving, ministering, visiting, comforting, encouraging, and healing. I would like to take um, some time this morning and just look at a number of examples through through the Gospels of times that Jesus was responding to people when he was in situations where he responded to people. And as we're going through looking at these, as, at these examples, remember that this man is our, our, our teacher, our forerunner. He's our master, the one that we are to be becoming like. <clears throat> so we'll start by looking in Matthew chapter 9. I have a title of the message, uh, Our Attitude Towards People. And I don't know if that's the best title or not, but that's what I gave it. Our Attitude Toward People. Matthew chapter 9, two verses, verse 35 and 36. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. 
But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as having as sheep having no shepherd. <clears throat> when Jesus saw those crowds of people, his heart was moved with compassion. I don't think Jesus could look at people without having his heart move. And that's just a little glimpse into the heart of Christ and, and how his heart was towards people. <clears throat> All right, turn to Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> the end of the chapter, uh, we find Jesus departing Jericho. And it says that there was multitudes of people following him. I believe he was trying to teach. But they were traveling down the road, leaving Jericho. And I'm sure it wasn't quite like a quiet Sunday morning picnic. There was lots of people probably pushing and shoving, trying to get close to Jesus. There may have been animals running around, dogs barking, children crying, uh, chaos in the street. Now, it doesn't say that, but we're just imagining. But as they went, there was two blind men sitting beside the road. And when they learned that Jesus was coming by, they began to cry out, O Lord, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And the, some of the people in the crowd telling them to just be quiet. Don't, don't bother. Don't bother Christ. Be quiet. But they continued to cry out to Christ to have mercy. But in the midst of all that was going on, all the, the people, Christ heard those two men. And he stood still and he called to them. Verse 32 Jesus responds to them, what were, you, what were ye that I should do unto you? <clears throat> and they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. <clears throat> Jesus was always looking, watching for people who were in need. At Mark chapter 5, and we won't turn there, but we have the account of when Jesus and his disciples got in the boat and sailed across the sea to the land of the Gadarenes. And upon arriving, they got out of the boat, and immediately there met them a man uh, that was in terrible bondage. He was possessed of demons. He was a wild man. No one could tame him. He lived in the tombs. But this man met them at the, at the seaside by the boat. And Jesus ministered to that man. He cast out the demons. He set the man free. Clothed him. And then got back in the boat and sailed back across the sea. 
I think Jesus made that voyage for one man. He knew that on the other side of that sea, there was a man that needed him. And so he made that voyage for one man. And then, of course, we know that the gospel was spread into that into the land of the Gadarenes through that man. But Jesus knew there was a man that needed him, and he went. Turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, John the Baptist had just passed away. A friend of Jesus and his disciples had just brought him the news that that John the Baptist had been killed. And then there was a lot of activity. There was a funeral. Um, And it says in verse 30, one, that they had no time for leisure and they didn't even have time to eat. They were really busy. And then Jesus said there in verse 31 to his disciples, Come ye apart, come ye yourselves apart unto a desert place and rest a while. That sounds like a good idea after an intense few days of, of activity, um, of ministering and of, of a funeral, of a loved one. Let's just get away by ourselves and, and rest for a while. Jesus knew he and his disciples needed, needed some time. So they got in a ship privately and departed. Now, evidently, somebody found out where they were going. <clears throat> and the news spread like wildfire. And it says that people from all the towns and all the cities ran and arrived before Jesus. Can you imagine? Put yourself in, in that position. Imagine that you've just had a tremendously stressful time in ministering with your family, whatever. Maybe you just had a funeral burying a loved one and you, you and your family just decide we're going to take a few days and go camping, get off by ourselves and rest and just relax. We need to get away. So you pack all your camping stuff up in the car or in the van and you breathe a big sigh of relief and drive out the driveway. I don't know where y'all go camping, but you're driving, enjoying the time with your family. You drive into the camp ground, and who's there waiting for you? The whole town, the people you just tried to get away from. All the needy people in church, all the needy people in town are there waiting for you. Now, my natural response would have been one of frustration. I would have been annoyed. And if I was Jesus, I would have probably turned the sail a little and just went on past. 
But that's not Jesus. Verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus never seemed to be frustrated with people. Unless perhaps he felt some frustration with some of the religious leaders. But he always took time to minister. And after the day was well spent there in the wilderness, the disciples came to him and said, The time is far past. We're way out here. There's no food. You need to just send these people away so they can eat. Just send them away. And I think the disciples were hoping that maybe they could still have a little time alone. But in Matthew, it's recorded that Jesus said, they, they need not depart. He wasn't feeling uptight or frustrated about all these people. You feed them. And then we have recorded here that Jesus proceeded to feed the people. And only after he took care of their, their needs, their spiritual needs, and then their physical needs, only then did he send them away. <clears throat> Jesus always had time for people. While we're in Mark, let's turn to chapter 10. Verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that had brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. And then verse 16. And he took them up in his arms and put his, his hand upon them and blessed them. Here was Jesus teaching the important people, grown-ups. And parents are bringing their children for Jesus to bless. And the disciples look at that and say, just take the children away. Don't bother Jesus, he's, he's involved with important people. He's talking with important people. Jesus was never too, too busy with the grown-ups to take time for children. He took them and blessed them. Children were important to Jesus, and they still are. All people were important to Jesus. Over in, in Luke chapter 19, we find Jesus passing through Jericho. And he takes time to stop at a, at a lonely little man's house. Zacchaeus was a man that was rejected. He was a man that was despised by his fellow countrymen. He was a publican. But Jesus took time 
to go to that man's house and to minister to him. John, John chapter 4. <clears throat> These are just little pictures in, into the life of Christ and how he responded to people. And remember, this is who we are to be becoming like. John chapter 4, verse 4. <clears throat> And he must needs go through Samaria. Now why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? There was other ways to go. The Jews never went through Samaria. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And I think it was because he knew there was somebody in Samaria that needed him. And as they went through, he sat down by a well and a broken, wounded woman met him there and he ministered to her heart. Jesus took time to meet the needs of a lonely, broken woman. In John chapter 8, there was a woman a sinner who was caught in the act of sin and brought before Jesus and accused. <clears throat> the Pharisees were all over this, this problem. They were up in arms and they were ready to pound this woman for her, for her, for her sin. But how did Jesus respond to that woman? He didn't accuse her. He didn't excuse her, I'm sorry. He didn't excuse her from her sin. But he responded to her with grace, with, with forgiveness. He didn't squash her. He, he lifted her up. And how often have I seen people, seen someone in sin, and self-righteously cast judgment on them or harsh criticism towards them? But that's not the way Jesus responded. Jesus didn't have patience with people who cast a judgment on others. He just reminded them of their own sin. And then we find Jesus writing on the ground, and after a while the accusers leave, and Jesus stood up and saw that only the woman was there. <clears throat> And then in verse 10, Jesus said this, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That's the way of Jesus, the way of grace, the way of coming under and lifting up. Two more examples here. Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> verse 50 and 51. 
Now this is Jesus in the garden after the Last Supper. They were in the garden. Christ in agony with the load that was upon him. Sweating drops of blood. The multitude coming to take him. And Jesus answered and said, I'm sorry, back up to 50. And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now here's Christ in the middle of probably the, the, the largest battle in all of eternity. At the climax of that, of that battle, coming to the cross. And yet even in that moment, he's watching out for the needs of people around him. Here Peter was trying to defend him and sliced off the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus said, wait a minute. We're not, we're not going to do that. And he took the time to heal that man. Watching out for those around him. And turn a page to Luke 23. Verse 32 and 33. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So here's Jesus hanging on the cross, beaten, whipped, Kicked, spit upon, crucified, about to die, his body hanging in shreds, rejected by his own creation. And he looks down on those awful people, and his heart's moved with the compa compassion again towards them. And he prays this in verse 34 Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a man. What a heart for people. All through his ministry, and I believe all his life, he displayed such a heart of love and compassion and concern for people everywhere he went. And that's why people were drawn to him. His preaching wasn't harsh and critical. But somehow he had a way of drawing people to him. It was because of his love and his compassion for people. What a teacher. Are we his disciples? Are we this man's disciples? A disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And again, I look at myself and realize I have so much to learn. <clears throat> what is my attitude towards people? How do I feel towards people. You know, it's easy to be Christ-like to a lot of people, to people that we like, to people that are nice to us. But what about those that aren't? Those that are naturally difficult 
What is my attitude towards people? I believe there's two basic categories that we could find ourselves in, and maybe a mix of some of, some of both. But there's the attitude of natural fallen man, which tends to be self-centered, self-serving, self-preserving, and prideful. <clears throat> I'm doing a job in Floyd for a customer who I didn't realize it, but there's a feud going on between them and their neighbor. And really it's kind of difficult because I'm kind of getting caught in the middle. But this Adamic nature, self-centered, self-serving, self-preserving, just becomes so obvious. They're fighting over this thing that looks so silly. If even one of those two parties would have the attitude of Christ, the heart of Christ, it could be resolved like nothing. But instead, instead, they keep padding the pockets of their lawyers. The second category of attitude is the attitude of a transformed heart. Christ-like heart. Selfless, full of grace, humble, compassionate, and the list could go on. I would like to look at a few specific examples or practical areas that we may face uh, in which our attitude is going to be exposed. Our attitude towards others will be exposed, at least to ourselves and, and often to other people. Because we live in a world of people, we are social beings, we relate to people all the time, and Every day we face so many opportunities, so many situations that demand a response. And the way we respond reveals what's in our heart. How do I respond to somebody when I see them doing something that I feel is wrong? Maybe it's something that I used to do, but since I've been convicted and, and, and have put that behind me, how to respond to that person? Or it could even be something not so serious and seeing them doing a job or a task that I feel like I know a better way. Maybe I see somebody putting shingles on And it's not the way I would do it. My way is so much better. Why would they do it that way? How do I respond to that kind of person? Do we feel prideful that I would know better, that I wouldn't do that? Do we feel critical or criticize them? Are we quick to pass judgment and write them off as a bad person? Or in a more serious situation, do we assume that their heart is in the wrong place and full of evil intent? How does Jesus want us to respond? He said, Be ye therefore merciful, 
as your Father also is merciful. Judge not that ye be not judged. Condemn not that ye be not condemned. And Matthew, that was in Luke. Matthew records it this way. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. I believe that if I have a critical attitude towards everybody around me, and I see every little thing that's wrong with them. And I latch on to those things and, and judge them without grace and without patience. I believe that that's the kind of judgment that God will have to judge me with. I don't think we want that. <clears throat> we want to be judged with God's grace. Christ extended grace to the woman taken in sin. He had compassion on her and lifted her up. Now, I don't want to undermine the, the, our responsibility to deal with sin. We need to deal with sin. That's, that's a must in the church and in ourselves and in our brother. We must be willing to confront sin. But there's a way to do it with the right attitude, with the right heart. How do I respond when someone hurts me or does me wrong? Do I get angry? Do I feel vengeful? Do I wallow in self-pity? Do I completely close off my life to that person? Because they've hurt me, and therefore they cannot have any part in my life. Do I hold it against them and allow bitterness to take root? Jesus said, if ye forgive them, men your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father, will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew chapter 6. That's serious business. Life or death. My lack of forgiveness automatically condemns me. Jesus also said, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And again, Christ was the perfect example, forgiving his enemies even as he hung on the cross. <clears throat> so how is our attitude towards those that have offended us, that have hurt us, that have wronged us? I believe it quickly reveals where our heart is at. <clears throat> How do I respond when, when there's a need, when somebody has a need and it's not convenient? You know, I like to help people. I think we all like to help people, especially when it fits into our schedule. It's Sunday morning, and my wife and I are just feeling exhausted. The house is messy. There's nothing interesting to cook for lunch. And we make it to church, and there's a visiting family who doesn't have a place to go for lunch. 
Now, I do have a place for lunch. But what, how do we respond to that? To that need? You know, we could say, this just isn't a good morning for this. This isn't a good day. Somebody else will probably take care of them. And really, we're so tired, we need to go home quickly after church and get some rest. And after all, the house isn't presentable. And we would never feed our guests that kind of a lunch, that kind of a meal. And that's kind of a natural response. But do we allow selfishness to keep us from reaching out? Do we allow, allow our pride to keep us from opening our home? And there's, there's so many other examples we could look at when, it's, when people have needs when it's not convenient. What about at night when the exhausted mother has to get up for the fifth time for the crying baby? How do we respond? It's not convenient. Jesus said, And as you would that men should do to you, do ye likewise to them. Jesus, again, being the perfect example when he ministered to all those people, when he was so exhausted and, and was going to get away, he ministered to them when it wasn't convenient. Do we see people as in, inconvenient or as a bother? Or do we see them as an opportunity to serve our Savior? Do we see them as the most important priority in life? What about when our neighbor finds you, knocks on the door and asks if he can borrow borrow something again? Last time he borrowed it, it came back broken without an apology. Suddenly I can't find it. Or maybe suddenly I realize I need to use it today. So it's not, we can't let you have it. Or I guess you can rent it if you pay up front. How do we respond? Jesus said, Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that would take away thy goods, ask them not again. <clears throat> every day we're faced with situations over and over that will test our attitude, test our heart. What about children? How do we view children? How do we think about children? Are they a blessing? Are they important? Or do we just think they're in the way, little nobodies, rugrats, liabilities and expense, tax write-offs? I think we can tell a lot about our position of our heart by the way we respond to children. Jesus said, let the children come unto me. He took time for them. They're important. What about when the phone rings and it's another survey about how you use your TV. Generally, it's a real person on the other, other end of that telephone. 
How do we respond to that person? When you pick up a newspaper and you see pictures of starving children in Africa, are we hardened? Is it too far away to touch our hearts? Or does it bring tears to our eyes and our pen to our checkbook? Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it, unto the least of one of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And we could go on and on with situations and examples. There are endless needs. Endless, there's an endless number of people that we have opportunity to respond to. Where's my heart? Where's your heart? Am I responding with the fleshy, fleshly fallen fallen attitude? Or am I responding with a Christ-like attitude? You know, if we look back over our lives, we can all think of, of maybe even the last week of opportunities that you've had situations you found yourself in and where you have responded. Think back over those, those times. How, how did you do? Because that's who you are. It doesn't matter what I say I want to be or who I say I am. If we turn around and look back, we can see who we are. And if you're like me, you'll find probably that sometimes we respond one way, sometimes we respond the other way, if we're honest with ourselves. If we see we've been wrong, how do we change? I don't think that by sheer willpower and grit and determination we can always respond Christ-like in a Christ-like way. I don't think that's possible. I believe that we must continually come back to the feet of Jesus, our Master, and allow Him to continue that transformation work that He wants to do in us and, and to transform, transform our, our very heart. <clears throat> we may need to do some confessing and some repenting and some getting on our knees on our face and begging for mercy, for grace. Grace to be the kind of person that Christ wants me to be. But I really believe that if we're willing and if it's our desire to be transformed, to become like Christ, that he is willing and is faithful to continue that work that he has begun in us. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And that's my desire this morning to be perfected in Christ, to become as he is, to see people the way he sees people, to love people the way Christ loves people, to respond the way he did, and to forgive and to extend grace the way he did and the way he does. May God bless you.